athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. You've got it locked to Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. I am your host, Donald Ware. Yes, on at our new time, 6 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Central Time, 3 p.m. Out West. This is our new time each and every Friday here on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Got a lot to get to today on the program. Week three of the HBCU football season uh, began, as a matter of fact, on Thursday. And listen, I'm looking at I'm looking at Benedict, and Benedict's got a solid football team. If you listen to the HBCU football daily podcast, uh, we had Shanice Berry, the head football coach of the Tigers, on the podcast. And I've been very impressed with, first of all, Shanice Berry for a couple of years now. And that's a big-time win. Like, that's a huge win over Savannah State on Thursday night, national TV ESPNU. Right, 24-6 to six to a Savannah State team that many thought would finish in second place in the SIAC's Eastern Division. But Benedict says we've got something to say. And Shanice Berry in his second season as the head football coach, the Tigers went 5-5 five and five on last year. So the Tigers are on the rise and, as a matter of fact, are ranked in the newly, the newly created HBCU Division II coaches poll powered by Box to Row. And you can find that poll on our website at boxtorow.com. So week three is already underway. We got some matchups uh, to look at. We're going to look at the HBCU national game of the week. I'm going to tell you about that matchup. I'm going to give you my thoughts on the matchup. And uh, listen, we just got a lot to get to today on the program Speaking of the SIAC, joining us today here on Box to Row, Fort Valley State 2-0 on the season. The Wildcats head coach is Chris Barnett. Chris Barnett, the head coach of Fort Valley State, going to join us on the program as Fort Valley State is ranked number six in the HBCU Division II coaches poll. Also joining us today here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM, Duke Head football coach Mike Elko going to join us on the program. I've been very impressed. I was very impressed. We had uh, Coach Elko on the program, what, about three weeks ago now or so. And, I mean, I was impressed with him. Then you look at his resume. He's gotten it done at all levels, as, as mo- mainly as a defensive guy. And how he's been able to get Duke out to the 2-0 and start, uh, the win over Temple, and then a nice win over, over Northwestern on Saturday. I mean, those are two really big wins for that program. 
And uh, I, I will be, so you know, I'll be in Durham uh, on tomorrow as Duke is going to host A&T as the play-by-play voice of North Carolina A&T football. Looking very much forward to that. Speaking of such, you can listen to that game, right, and many other HBCU games on the SiriusXM app. So there's A&T that's broadcast. There's Tennessee State. There's Norfolk State. There's Jackson State. Uh, all broadcast on SiriusXM, on the SiriusXM app. As a matter of fact, our game tomorrow, it's a 6 p.m. kickoff. It's a 5.30 pregame show Eastern time. That's 2.30 Pacific time. Uh, we're on uh, the Duke and A&T game on channel 986, SiriusXM channel 9. Uh, excuse me, SiriusXM Channel 386, SiriusXM Channel 386, and online on SiriusXM on Channel 910. Of course, you can always uh, get the game on the SiriusXM app. Type in North Carolina A&T. But Duke head football, they're expecting a sellout. They're expecting a sellout at that football game. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with, with, first of all, I think what Duke has been able to uh, been able to accomplish in terms of uh, a couple of wins. It's a new, you know, sort of a new situation with Duke, a new culture. I think Mike Elko's involved, you know, in that part of it. A lot of coaches don't get involved in sort of the marketing part, and I think he's involved in that. And then you're going to have a good A&T contingency that's going to be there. Matter of fact, I did some research. So if you look at if you look at the last game, the the, the last game that was basically a sellout. Uh, for Duke, it was uh, when um, oh man, Notre Dame came to Duke back in 2019. Okay, if you look at that 2019 season, right, because that was pre-COVID, and A&T and Duke played that year. It's about 38,000 in the stands. the The next, I think, the next closest home game for Duke, other than the Notre Dame game in terms of attendance, was like 22,000. So to me, that shows the power of North Carolina A&T and what the Aggie fans are going to bring to Wallace Wade Stadium. So very much looking forward to that football game. So again, Mike Elko, the head football coach at Duke, going to join us on the program today. Um, look, you know, I take a look at this week, this week three schedule, and there's an obvious game that's clearly the game of the week and we're going to look at you know I'm going to look at that game but I mean I'm looking at some of the other a couple of the other games right like I'm looking you know I I see Shaw and Bowie State right like you know Bowie State coming off that loss uh was in the in the HBCU media poll was number two right dropped to number four after the loss to Saginaw Valley State and is now number three uh I don't have it in front of me. I think number three in the coaches poll, in the HBCU Division II coaches poll, right? Shaw, meanwhile, has been picked to finish high in the CIAA's Southern Division. And, I mean, wow, has gotten off to the really slow start. 0-2 is looking for a win uh, badly. Can West Virginia State bounce back, right? The loss uh, to Fairmont State. Uh, can the Yellow Jackets, last week that was to Frostburg State, can the uh, West Virginia State Yellow Jackets uh, sort of bounce back uh, a little bit. I mean, Winston-Salem State, wow. I mean, now, this is a game for you. Elizabeth City State, Winston-Salem State, CIAA, interdivision, divisional matchup. 
I mean, both teams are 0-4, and neither team looks very good. I mean, Elizabeth City State doesn't look good at all, and Winston-Salem State, not much better. <clears throat> and, you know, I mean, if you're Winston, either one of these teams, I mean, they're both 0-2 on the season. You know, what about Morgan State and Sacred Heart? Like, Morgan State keeps beating on the door, beating on the door. We're going to do a, what we call the box to row blitz for you, where we're going to tell you the outcome of last week's game. Uh, right between Morgan State uh, and Towson, but Morgan State keeps beating on that door. Uh, perhaps they can kick it in. Damon Wilson, again, moves from Bowie State to now Morgan State. I mean, that's a big pickup, and so we'll see, you know, what Morgan State is able to do on this week. you got that Battle of the Bay, Norfolk State and Hampton in Norfolk, right? Like, I, I think the thing I'd like to see is I'd like to see some cr- a crowd at that game, okay? Listen, and, you know, I think last year there may have been some rain, some weather. Look, we, you know, you got we got to get that state like Dick Price Stadium, at least at one time. I don't know if that's still the case. It's the lar- it was the largest on campus facility for a Division One double at the time or an FCS program. I don't know if that's still the case. It may still be 30,000 like you got to at least have 20,000 in the stand. I mean, that game should matter. Norfolk State doesn't want to go 0 3. Hampton is 2 0 on the season. We need to get the fans in that game. I'm interested to see what the attendance is going to be like and what that game ultimately is going to be like. So I mean, those are a couple of the games. Of course, a little bit later on in the in the program, I'm going to preview the HBCU national game of the week. So sit back and relax as you've got it tuned in to Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Up next here on the program, Duke head football coach Mike Elka. On the way, it's more of From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Right, 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 right here. Right here on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. State Fair Classic, Grambling State versus Prairie View A and M, Saturday, October first at the Cotton Bowl inside the world's largest state fair. It's going down. Are you ready? One ticket gets you into the fair and the big game. What did you just say? Come early for the fair, stay later for the game. One ticket also at 4 p.m. performing live on the Chevy Main Stage, Grammy Award winning Ashanti live. Then the classic kicks off at a new time, 6 p.m. Watch two new head coaches battle it out for the first time. The battle gets bigger at halftime. The world famed Tiger Marching Band takes on the Prairie View A&M Marching Store Saturday, October. First up, a Cotton Bowl. Tickets available at Ticketmaster.com. Visit StateFairClassicFootball.com. Sponsored in part by City of Dallas, Dallas Sports Commission, McDonald's, Black and Positively Golden, Chevy, Cricket Wireless, and Methodist Hospital. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitney, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. For more information, log on to their website at harlembeernc.com. The others pretend you're listening to the show that brings you up close and personal. Up close and personal. 
with the biggest names in sports and entertainment. Here's the man to bring it to you, Donald Ware. Y'all heard, take it from the top. One, two, my mic sound nice, check one. My mic sound nice, check two. My mic sound nice, check three. Are you ready to rock y'all? Let's continue here as the Duke Blue Devils, I tell you what, 2-0 on the season, coming off a big win, a big win over Northwestern. 31 to 23. Mike Elko in his first season as the head football coach of the Blue Devils once again joins us here on the program. How are you, Coach Elko? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Good, good time to be a Duke Blue Devil right now. I'm telling you. I mean, listen. You know, Northwest. I mean, two and zero, right? You play some good opponents. I mean, Temple, Northwestern, uh, 31 to 23. Let's talk about the win over Northwestern. Your thoughts on that victory? Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought we started really fast. Was really happy about that. And anytime you go on the road and beat a Big Ten school, that's obviously a big win for our program. And uh, certainly would have liked to have, have uh, made it a little bit more distance between us and the finish line at the end. But you know, our kids played hard all the way to the finish, and we were able to make a play to win the football game. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, ex- that's the thing. Like the Wildcats scored to pull to within five, and then you go up by the field goal. There's still some time, but I want to start. I want to take it from there. I mean, just talk about that field goal putting some distance, at least making it so they had to score a touchdown and a two-point conversion to at least tie. Yeah, you know, we felt like at that time, you know, we wanted to give ourselves the best chance to to have as many outcomes to win as we could, and so we we took the field goal. I know, you know, probably could could have potentially went for it, but we took the field goal, and then that put us up eight, and you know, then that forced them to go execute a two minute drive and also have to make a two point conversion, and you know, so fortunately we were able to get the stop and and win the football game. Well, yeah, let's talk about that stop. I mean, I didn't see the game, but I, you know, I look through the, I pour through the play-by-play, and it's, it's, you know, it seems like they're moving the ball, moving the ball, moving the ball. I look at the play-by-play. I see a 12-yard run. I see to the Duke zero-zero, but then I see a fumble, and you guys recover. I mean, talk about, uh, talk about that, and being able to in sort, in essence, in the game in that fashion. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's you, you preach as a coach, play to the whistle, play to the whistle, and. You know, we played to the whistle and the one-inch line. And, you know, Jalen Stinson, one of our safeties, made a great play, came across and popped the ball right out of his hands. And then Brandon Johnson was there to, to recover it. And uh, obviously that was a huge play for, for not only this season, but really for where we are as a program right now. I mean, you had to be elated. I mean, obviously you're the head coach. But, I mean, your history says you're a defensive guy. I know you must have been super excited when he made that play. Oh, yeah, I am. I am. And just, you know, the effort, obviously, as a coach, the thing that you take the most pride in is the effort that your kids play with. And so for us to, to make that play at the end of that game, um, you know, that was just something that was super exciting for us. That the voice of Mike Elko, the Duke Blue Devils are 2-0 and as he joins us here on the program. Of course, we had you on a couple of weeks before the season began. Hard to kind of, you know, just trying to get a measuring stick for uh, you know, what you foresee with the program, et cetera. Now two games in, two quality wins. Your thoughts on where the program is right now? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously, you know, we felt like we came here to transform 
Duke football, you know, and, and obviously Coach Cut took this thing to really great places, but, um, you know, the last couple of years, it's been a little bit down, and so, you know, but but we also talked about doing it as fast as we possibly could, and so, you know, nine months ago, we went to work. Uh, we really started, you know, building for this season. I think our kids got bigger, faster, stronger, and, you know, we were able to go out and get some early results. Now, that's all they really are, you know, and I tell our kids that all the time. They're early results, you know, and, and we're here for a lot more more than that and so we just got to continue to work and continue to grind and you know hopefully we can sustain this thing you're right they are early results but the early results are really good two bit really big wins i mean what is it is it is it more of a culture change what what do you why are you why are you guys playing so well right now yeah, I mean, I think obviously we we did a really good job in the in the strength and conditioning program. I think that was something that was really important to our kids. Uh, we we challenged them to become tougher. We challenged them to prioritize football more in their lives. And I think they've embraced that, and I think that that certainly is is at the root of our culture and what we're trying to build here. And then you know with that, we're you know I think we've done a, a good job of putting our kids in positions to be successful, to make plays, and and they've started to grow in confidence because of that. You had a quarterback battle in the preseason. Riley Leonard has emerged through two games. 69% of his passes completed 568 yards, three touchdowns to one interception. Your thoughts on the way he's performing? Yeah, really happy with Riley. I think he's gotten off to a really good start. I think he's he's moving the ball around, sharing it with a lot of different receivers. He's more athletic than people want to give him credit for, and so I think he's done a really good job of extending some plays with his feet and um, really happy with his progress to this point. And I think he'll just continue to get better. You know, it's still it's still new. It's still a brand new defense for him or brand new offense for him, and there's still a lot of learning that he's going through. And so, you know, the more he gets reps, the more he gets out there, the more comfortable he gets, the better he'll be. You mentioned when we talk with you that, you know, you had a you had a couple of running backs and your running game, you know, has been good, uh, at least statistically through two games, averaging almost 200 yards per game. Talk about the running backs. Yeah, really happy. I think we, we've been able to run three of them out there, and, and Jordan Waters and Jalen Coleman have been getting the bulk of our carries, and I think have, have both done a really good job of kind of up in their game to where we want it to go, and, and I think they've been very physical uh, as runners, which is what we want in our program, and so that part of it's been really good. And then, um, you know, then Jacquez Moore is a kid who's able to give us uh, some carries as well, and so we feel like we got three talented backs that can get back there and really run the football, and so that's exciting for us. And then conversely on the defensive side you're I mean through two games you've stopped uh, both Temple and uh, and Northwestern from running the football yeah, yeah, and that's, you know, to us, that's the biggest thing, you know, to, to be successful the way we want to run this program, we've got to be a physical team that can hold up on both lines of scrimmage, and um, I think so far through two games, we've been able to do that, and if you can outrush people and, and consistently week in and week out, I think you give yourself a good opportunity to win football games. Uh, back to offense, uh, how is this offensive line? Uh, yeah, they were really good last week. I know that. You know, they did a really good job of, of moving people. I thought we created holes. Uh, we've always talked to our offensive line about just that. You know, we don't want to block people. We want to move people. That's something that's really important to us and how we coach and preach things. And uh, and they were able to do that. And, and I think they opened up a lot of holes for our guys last week to run through and um, played a big role in us winning that game. Mike Elko, the head football coach at Duke, joins us here. Uh, next up for you is A&T. Uh, on Saturday, A&T 0-2 on the season. What do you what do you've seen? What have you seen from the Aggies on film? 
Yeah, I, I think they're a talented team. Obviously, going out to North Dakota State last week, that's a big challenge for any program. And, um, you know, and I know they lost the rivalry game down in Charlotte to start the season, but, you know, I think they've got really good athletes, really impressed with their tailback. I think he runs exceptionally hard. Um, they got a lot of height outside at wide receiver, and that's going to be a challenge for us. And I think defensively, you know, they're very active and they're very athletic. And I know Coach Washington prides himself in defense, and they're going to load up the box and, and really dare you to throw the ball and, and not give you a lot of lanes to run through yeah so you, I, I guess you kind of mentioned what, what concerns you about the Aggies yeah, I, I think their overall team speed jumps off the film, and and I think they're I think they're a really good football team. I mean, they came in here last last year, they didn't blink, and uh, you know they took Duke late into the third quarter in what was a 17-14 game, and they took the opening drive, marched it 20 plays right down the field for a touchdown, and so uh, a lot of respect for the program. I spent a lot of time at the FCS level, and so I know how good the football is at that level, and you know we know that nothing short of our best is going to be needed this week. No question about it. A couple of more thoughts. So, I mean, in yesterday's local paper here uh, in Raleigh, they talked about sort of this game and uh, you're expecting a, a lot, a, a lot of fans, I think in part going to be aided by A&T and the fan base that the Aggies are going to bring. Speak to that. I mean, you've, you've sort of been involved with that in, in really getting the fans into the stands. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we want to create a game day atmosphere that people want to be part of. And, you know, that's been a big push from our program uh, with social media and some of the fan involvement stuff that we've gotten involved in is we want to make sure that people uh, know what's going on over here with Duke football and want to be part of it. That's something that's really, really critical to our success. Um, and then anytime you play an in-state school, that helps, right? And so being able to add a team from Greensboro onto the, the uh, schedule and, you know, they'll travel well and it'll just be an exciting night for Carolina line of college football no doubt mike elko the head football coach at duke joins us here coach elko again appreciate the time uh we look forward to seeing you on saturday excellent appreciate you having me on mike elko the head football coach at duke joining us here on the program up next we're talking with fort valley state head football coach chris barnett this is your weekly edition of the box to row blitz i'm donald ware first let me take you to Baltimore for the annual matchup between Morgan State and Towson. The two schools separated by less than five miles. Hasn't been much of a rivalry lately with Towson dominating. Morgan State looking to change that early in the first quarter. Tailback gets the call, looking for room, has some to the 10, to the 5, Alfonso Graham to the house. Bears! On the board, 16 yards to pay dirt. And the Bears led seven to nothing. Towson would answer with a field goal to pull to within seven to three. Then about midway through the second quarter, the Tigers would take the lead. Quarterback bigger in the throw. He's in the pocket, got time. Fires downfield, got a man at the five, to the doorstep, to the house. Tyrone Pilgrim to Isaiah Perkins, 19 yards, and the Tigers held the 10 to seven lead, but the Bears would immediately respond. In the pocket, make it a throw. Carson will fire, deep, near sideline for Jones. Avery makes the catch, touch, down. Carson Baker to Avery Jones for 31 yards, and the Bears regained the lead at 14 to 10. Before the half, Townsend would get a field goal to pull to within 14 to 13, and would get another touchdown in the third to regain the lead at 20 to 14. But 
the Bears would come right back. Carson Baker is the Morgan quarterback. He's in the pocket, settles, has to step up, looks downfield. He'll fling it underneath. He finds a target. That's Alfonso Graham. Slips a defender at the 10 to the 5. Alfonso to the house. Touchdown, Morgan. Put the Bears up 21 to 20, but late in the third quarter, the Tigers would respond and take the lead for good. Play fake, Pigram to throw. He fires, end zone, wide open. Darian Street, touchdown, Towson. I am because of that man, Lamont Germany, on WEAA in Baltimore. The touchdown put the Tigers ahead. They would go on to defeat the Morgan State Bears 29-21. to Now I'm going to take you to Daytona Beach, Florida, for an old-school rivalry between South Carolina State and Bethune-Cookman when both were in the MEAC. We're going to pick things up in the third quarter with South Carolina State leading 13 to nothing. Inside handoff, Kendrell Flowers bounces it outside, cuts back in at the 40, at the 45, still in his feet at the 50. He's at the 45, 40, 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, cuts back up 10, five, touchdown, Kendrell Flowers. My man, Ernest Robinson, on the South Carolina State Bulldogs radio network. The Bulldogs would go on to down Bethune-Cookman, 33 to nine. Now, let me take you to Memphis for the Southern Heritage Classic matchup between the Jackson State Tigers and the Tennessee State Tigers. A low-scoring game, but Jackson State linebacker Niles Gaddy was wreaking havoc all night. Shotgun formation, takes a snap. Here comes the pressure, down he goes again, sacked by Gaddy again. One of his three and a half sacks on the evening. Let's now go to the fourth quarter with Jackson State leading nine to three and possession of the football. There's a snap, looks left, tosses in the end zone. Gaines makes the catch, or did he? Yes, he holds on to the football with a defender all over him. It's the first touchdown of the night for Jackson State. That's my man, the Hall of Famer, Rob J. on the Jackson State Sports Network. Shador Sanders to Gaines for 27 yards, sealed the deal. The Tigers of Jackson State went on to defeat Tennessee State 16-3. For his efforts, Gaddy was named the HBCU National Player of the Week. Also, Jada Byers, the running back from Virginia Union, also HBCU Player of the Week. You can log on to our website, box2row.com, to read more. Jackson State remains number one in the HBCU coaches and media polls, and you can find those polls on the box2row.com website. Box to Row, the radio show, airs weekly on radio stations across the country, as well as Fridays at its new time, 6 p.m. Eastern, that's 3 Pacific, on ESPNU Radio, on Sirius XM, and Saturdays, 9 a.m. Eastern, that's 6 a.m. Pacific time, on Sirius XM, channel 142, HBCU. To listen to the show, or for more information, log on to BoxToRow.com. The Fort Valley State Wildcats are 2-0 on the season and ranked number six in the newly created HBCU Division II coaches poll powered by Box to Row. In his first season as the head football coach of Fort Valley State is Sean Gibbs, former assistant football coach at North Carolina A&T. The Wildcats going to be in action once again on Saturday at home against Allen. As again, Sean Gibbs joins us here 
on Box to Row. Coach Gibbs, welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, glad to have you. Want to get your thoughts, first of all, the, the win, uh, a close ball game against Kentucky State. You get the win 9-7 to seven over the Thoroughbreds. Yeah, it was a tough game, a physical game. I mean, we knew going in that, you know, playing a triple option team, the game's going to be a little slower than normal games. Uh, but we showed up and, and uh, pulled the victory out, I think, defensively. We played pretty good. We held them to 124 yards rushing and one touchdown. And that touchdown was a direct result of a broken play on special teams. So, you know, we got to get better in the kicking game. That's two games in a row that I felt like we could have had a shutout. But, you know, our kickoff team, we didn't have them in the right places. And that's on me. And that allowed our defense to have to defend the short field. And they were able to capitalize on it. But other than that, we played pretty solid. Uh, you know, offensively, we didn't have the game that we desired. But we came away with the win. We scored more points than they did, and that's the objective of every game. That is. I mean, how concerned were you with the flow of the game? I mean, was it, it – let me just start with the offense. Was it what they were doing defensively that kind of stymied your offense? Because, I mean, I know there had to be con some concern there when they uh, made the score 9-7 to seven with still nine minutes remaining in the third quarter. Right. I mean, uh, I, I wouldn't say that I was concerned. I actually, you know, think we needed a game like that where we had some adversity and had to make some plays down the stretch. Uh, defensively, I think schematically they did some good things that caused some problems. Uh, and it was good to see those things early in the season so we can correct them and be ready for them in the future because, you know, football's a copycat league, so we know we'll see some of that stuff again. But, you know, our main objective as an offense is to protect football, and we did a good job of doing that. Um, so we just got to get better. There were some plays there that we just didn't make. Uh, we didn't have the holes to run through like we did against Tuskegee. But, you know, we were able to take the football and run the ball pretty pretty decent, you know, not up to our standard. But, uh, you know, we got a lot to work on, and it's always good to win. Winning is hard, so we'll take it any way we can get it. As, as a coach that uh, you used to coach for, uh, used to say, all wins are good wins. And uh, so, you know, you, you, you got those, you got that one under your belt, you're 2-0. Oh. Your thoughts in terms of the, the way that your team is playing right now? Well, I mean, I like the way they're playing. They're competing. Uh, they're buying into, you know, our philosophy uh, on how to play the game. You know, uh, we want to be able to run the football. We've been uh, – we were great at it in the first game, and, you know, we weren't as good in the, in the second game, but we were able to run it a little bit. Uh, protect the football, we've done a really good job of that. And, you know, our last principle is the thing that we really got to improve on. We really got to work on, and that's winning the kicking game. But I think the guys are playing with a lot of effort. Uh, we had some discipline issues in the first game. We had 13 penalties. Uh, we cut that in half uh, against Kentucky State down to six. Two of them came on special teams, and they were after, you know, uh, after the ball, after the whistle, tough guy penalties, and those are unacceptable. So if we can continue to cut down on those things and continue to play with great effort and discipline, we'll be fine. Sean Gibbs in his first season as the head football coach at Fort Valley State. He joins us here on Box to Row. Coach Gibbs, just your thoughts um, uh, to this point uh, in terms of the way your quarterback, redshirt freshman Kelvin Durham, is playing. Well, I think he's done a really good job of managing the game. You know, we, we tell him that we don't need you to go out and win the game for us. We just need you to manage, manage the game, uh, you know, keep us out of bad situations. Don't turn the ball over and uh, be a facilitator. Get the ball to our playmakers. 
And I think he's done a good job of that. Uh, and, you know, I expect to see continuous improvement throughout the season. He's got um, a strong arm. He's capable of, of being a, a passer that can hurt you. But I think he can uh, be dynamic on the ground, uh, extending plays, you know, quarterback run game, all that stuff. He's a, he's a really good athlete that can run. So, you know, future's bright for KD. And, uh, you know, I'm excited about him. For you, what are some of the first things that you had to do coming in as a new head football coach and trying to, you know, build or rebuild a program that that had been down a bit? Well, just to get them to buy into the way that, that we do things now, I think they did a good job around here and recruiting because we have uh, some good players, but just getting them to play the way that we want them to play. You know, everybody has a different philosophy, but this, this uh, program is – the foundation is effort. You know, we want to be a high-effort team, getting guys to understand that you got to play with great effort, you got to practice with great effort, and you got to study and go to class with great effort. Uh, we want to be well-rounded on and off the field, and we want to pay attention to detail. Uh, so those are some of the things that we've been working on. You know, it's a process, uh, and we got to stay true to the process and trust the process and just keep working. But if we can continue to pay attention to uh, detail and play with great effort and understand that, you know, little things make the big things happen, how you do small things is how you do all things, and just continue to work, we'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, I say down a bit. I mean, you look at last year, the, the team was 5-5. Five and five. You look at the year before that, 6-4. and four. Uh, So it's just not up to Fort Valley State standards. Uh, it had not been. But, again, you guys are off uh, to the 2-0 and o start. What made this job – as the head football coach at Fort Valley State, he had a lot of success. We'll talk more about that as the running backs coach at ENT. But what made this job at Fort Valley State the right job for you? Well, just what you said, the standard. You know, they have a winning tradition here. They expect to win. I know when I got down here, everybody said, now you know they're going to expect you to win. And I just said, well, that's what I expect to do. I think you have to have high standards. Uh, so there's a tradition of winning. Um, Something that attracted me was the history of great coaches and Coach Lomax and Coach Porter, and then all the great players, you know, with Rayfield Wright, Daryl Holmes, Tyrone Poole. It's just uh, a, a bunch of great players that have went on to have some success in the NFL. And all those guys are active and engaged in our program and trying to help. So all those things drew me to this job. You know, I wanted to be a head coach, and I think this was a good place uh, to get started. And, you know, I look forward to building here. Sean Gibbs, the head football coach at Fort Valley State in his first season, joins us here on the program. For you, up next uh, is Allen. That game is at home. What are some of the, the uh, challenges, perhaps, that the Yellow Jackets present? Well, they got some players, you know, especially offensively. Their, their quarterback is a good football player. They got a receiver that can play. They got a running back that can run. So, you know, our challenge is to keep the ball in front of us, not give up any explosive plays, uh, don't allow them to run the football, and, you know, make the plays that are there to make. Uh, you know, when we get our hands on the ball, we got to catch it. If they put it on the ground, we got to recover it. Um, and we just got to play solid, fundamental assignment football all game against these guys because they can't hurt you. They have some players that can hurt you. And then, uh, you know, defensively, they have, they have a good scheme, a unique scheme that you don't see every week where they like the pressure. Uh, but they play a lot of man coverage, so we're gonna have to win one-on-one matchups outside. Uh, so you know it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a challenge. They're gonna come in, they're gonna play hard. They're a well-coached team. They got some good players, uh, but you know we got good players too, and 
and I think our, our coaches have done a good job. So, you know, it's going to be a great game. I can't wait. You know, for you, I mean, you, you, when it comes to running backs, you know running backs, and we'll talk more about that. I mean, I look at Emmanuel Wilson going back to his days playing at Johnson C. Smith. He's really good, really good. Come in, take the SIAC sort of uh, by storm. And now, I mean, he's averaging in two games 167 and a half yards rushing per game. How, how good a running back is he? And I know you haven't seen necessarily a, a, a lot of him this year, although I'm sure you've looked at tape his his previous couple of years, but where does he compare amongst some of the, the great backs that you've coached at North Carolina Central and at A&T and at Grambling for that matter? Uh, he, he's up there. He's, he's right in line with all those guys, you know, but the, the thing that he has in common uh, with all those guys from Greg Pruitt at North Carolina Central, Frank Warren at Grambling, uh, Tariq and Jamaine and, and Cartwright at A&T, is uh, they're not only great players, but they're great people. And this guy is a class individual. He's humble. He's a God-fearing young man. He prays, gets down on his knees in the middle of the field and prays before every practice, before every game. Every time he scores, he's getting down on his knees and thanking the Lord. So, you know, he's playing for a greater purpose. Um, he's, he's a great person. I think, number one, that's what makes him a good player. And then, you know, he's the biggest running back that I've coached. Um, and he's got the same type of elusiveness as some of those other guys, and he can run with power. He can do it all. He can catch the football, and uh, he's a pleasure to coach. You mentioned all of those running backs, Greg Pruitt to Tariq Cohen, uh, Markwell Cartwright, Jamaine Martin, you mentioned. Boy, you took me back with Frank Warren. Uh, Cornelius Walker, I think, was in the backfield with him. I mean, you've coached, yeah. you coached some guys. And you were pretty good when you played at North Carolina Central as well. I mean – I guess it's something you see when you go out and recruit in a running back that has enabled you to be so successful as a running backs coach all of those years. Well, yeah, I mean, the first thing I got to say is I've been I've been blessed and been been lucky to coach these guys. But, you know, I from playing the position and studying the position, I mean, I played running back since I was five years old. And, and uh, when I was younger, I used to study guys. You know, Walter Payton is my favorite football player ever. And, you know, I was studying guys like Walter Payton and Eric Dickerson, Roger Craig, you name it, you know, um, LaDainian Tomlinson. And, and I still study guys like Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor and all the great players in the NFL now. So, you know, you got to try to find somebody that uh, fits your system. And, you know, I think uh, E-Man definitely fits what we're trying to do because he has great contact balance. He, when he gets hit, he's not falling. He's got a uh, good balance. He can make you miss. He can catch the ball. And, you know, the main thing for a running back is it's a, it's a position where you got to have a feel for it. It's a natural position. As a running back coach, you know, your job is to get them to the line of scrimmage, teach them the footwork, teach them their reads, teach them who they're looking for, the unblocked defender, all those things. But once they get the ball in their hands, it's up to them. they got to be able to see it. I know when I first started coaching running backs, Coach Hayes told me, if, if you got to coach vision on a running back, you need to get to another one. <laughs> no doubt about it. Sean Gibbs, the head football coach at Fort Valley State, joining us here on Box to Row, the Wildcats, uh, a home game. As a matter of fact, on Saturday as Allen comes to Fort Valley, Georgia. Coach Gibbs, great to catch up with you. Appreciate the time. Uh, continued success to you and the Wildcats. Thank you. Go Wildcats and God bless. Chris Barnett, the head football coach. 
at Fort Valley State joining us on the program. And you look at that SIAC East. I mean, we already talked about what Fort Valley, what um, Benedict is doing, Albany State. We hadn't even talked about Albany State, the defending uh, champs a couple of times over from a divisional standpoint. And uh, so that, boy, I'm telling you, that's they're, they're, that's going to be some, there are some battles uh, right there when you're looking at Albany State, when you're looking at Benedict, when you're looking at Fort Valley State to decide who's going to represent that Eastern Division in the SIAC championship game. And I, I tell you, listen, um, Fort Valley State, Chris Barnett, you know, this kid, I'm, this kid, Emmanuel Wilson, the running back, is phenomenal okay this guy is phenomenal i'm i'm telling you this guy can play some football uh when he was at johnson c smith was doing all kinds of great things and now uh, doing it for fort valley state and he's got a quarterback coach who has the cachet who has the pedigree of a chris it was barnett who actually is his head coach but can you know certainly uh, give him some tips from his time as playing and then coaching the running backs position. Up next, here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM, I'm previewing the HBCU National Game of the Week. Hit me. The 2022 State Fair Classic, Grambling State versus Prairie View AM, Saturday, October 1st at the Cotton Bowl. One ticket gets you into the fair and the big game. Also, Grammy Award winning Ashanti Live. Then the classic kicks off at a new time, 6 p.m. New coaches, old rivalry, and an iconic halftime battle of events. Tickets available at Ticketmaster.com. Visit StateFairClassicFootball.com. Sponsored in part by City of Dallas, Dallas Sports Commission, McDonald's, Black and Positively Golden, Chevy, Cricket Wireless, Methodist Hospital. Has your heater or air conditioner busted? Appliance broken? Computer crashed? Then you need an ARW home warranty. Home system and appliance repairs and replacements can cause stress and cost you thousands of dollars per year. With an A-plus BBB rating and a top-rated home warranty company on Consumer Affairs and Trustpilot, ARW Home provides superior service, featuring the industry's lowest service call fee. ARW Home has warranty plans that cover your kitchen and laundry appliances, heating and air conditioning systems, electrical and plumbing systems, and much more. Call 800-941-2089 to customize your plan. Plus, ARW has partnered with Azurian to protect your new and used tablets, laptops, TVs, and other home tech from accidental damage and wear and tear. All plans come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Call 800-941-2089 for your free quote. That's 800-941-2089. Delaware on ESPNU Radio, right here on Sirius XM. What up, what up? Yo, 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 yo. KKK. Big football games for week three of the HBCU football season, but none bigger than the Grambling State and Jackson State game, which is the HBCU National Game of the Week. When you look at Jackson State, number one in HBCU football, 2-0, and on the season, dominant win and a statement win, I think, over Florida A&M. And a big win over Tennessee State to remain 2-0. Probably not what I thought was going to be. Um, 
you know, I give Tennessee State a lot of kudos, especially from a defensive standpoint, considering Tennessee State the week before against Eastern Washington gave up almost 600 yards of total offense. So, but Jackson State is number one. Meanwhile, you look at Grambling. I, Grambling can't, I mean, that, you know, Grambling, that was a big win against Northwestern State on last week. I mean, that is a huge win, especially coming off the beatdown 58-3 against uh, Arkansas State from the week before. So I really give Grambling, you know, a lot of credit. And boy, I mean, I, I, you know, it was one thing to win the football game against Northwestern State, but it's another thing to, to really put it on Northwestern State. When I look at this Jackson State offense, what can you say? Getting it done. Shador Sanders, the quarterback, is completing about 77% of his passes. He's got six touchdowns on the season. He hasn't thrown an interception this year. He's only been sacked three times. The offensive line is definitely doing a good job. You look at the running game. I mean, I think when you look at the running game, the running game is solid uh, in of itself. I mean, it's it's solid. Uh, almost 141 yards uh, of, of rushing per game. But when I look at this offense, right, only one touchdown last week, again, against a team that almost 600 yards of total offense and what 37 38 points to eastern washington the week before and we've seen some lulls uh, even last year you saw second half you saw where there was some lulls in that jackson state uh defense and uh so i mean i you know you know i, I mean I, I the thing about it right as 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 much as i can say that Overall, it's been a really good offense for Jackson State. Conversely, when I look at Grambling defensively, I mean, Grambling is, I mean, Grambling has given up some yards. It has given up some points, and that's got to be of concern for Hugh Jackson as the head coach of Grambling coming into this game um, against Jackson State. It has a high-powered offense, but again, I saw Tennessee State turn it around a little bit. Could we see Grambling turn it around? I, we'll see. I mean, we'll ultimately see how things play out. When I look at, and, and, and again, I mean, when I look, okay, so let's look at the Tennessee State offense, right? When I look at the Tennessee State offense, okay, uh, I look at the game against uh, uh, against Northwestern, and I look at the quarterback, Quaterius Hawkins, 13 of 23, 293 yards. He had two touchdowns. No interceptions in that ball game. And when I also look um, at what uh, what uh, Grambling is doing, Grambling is running the football, I think, at a pretty decent clip as well. Running the football just enough, just enough, right? I think Maurice Washington probably, you know, I mean, he's doing, he's doing well. They're not running the football overall. They haven't rushed it that much, although when I look at the game against Northwestern State, it was a balanced offense. 25 runs and 25 passes uh, for Grambling in that football game. But I think, I mean, listen, Grambling scored 27 points in the second quarter alone against Northwestern State. I mean, that's more than a lot of teams score in a football game, but scored 27 points uh, in the second quarter quarter alone it's an explosive offense you know Hugh Jackson's got the coaching experience 
Um, obviously at the National Football League level uh, as a head coach, uh, as an offensive coordinator, uh, but also has got the colleges, has some college experience as well. So we've seen it on all levels, and I think it just manifested itself. We didn't see a lot at Arkansas State, maybe Grambling trying to kind of find itself, but it manifested itself, I think, a lot um, in the game against Northwestern State. When I look at Jackson State defensively, whew, I mean, you know, 13 sacks on the season. You look at Niles, Gad, Niles Gaddy as the, the, the HBCU player of the week, Aubrey Miller. So you know the linebackers are really, really good. You go on the back end, Shiloh Sanders. You look at Travis Hunter. You know, on, I mean, and that defensive backfield is really, really good. And Jackson State's good up front. You know, Jackson State's only allowing 13 yards rushing. Only gave up, gave up negative. Tennessee State last week rushed for negative eight yards against Jackson State. And Jackson State's getting it done, you know, on the defense or in the in the air uh, defensively. The pass defense is what I'm trying to say. You know, they're getting it done there. You know, where I have concerns about Jackson State overall, you know, listen, Grambling State's third down conversions, it's like, they're like, they're not good at all. But Jackson State, I've got some concerns in terms of third down conversions, getting into a third down uh, situation. Jackson State is converting something like 37% of its third downs, although on fourth down, Jackson State's been pretty good, but you don't even want to put yourself in a fourth down uh, situation. I, I think we're going to see a situation where Grambling's defense is going to be better. I think they're going to take a little bit of a page out of what t uh, Tennessee State was able to do last week. Again, I'll say it again. Tennessee State against Eastern Washington gave up 500, almost 600 yards of total offense in the football game. Gave up just 16 points against Jackson State last week. That game was still in doubt. It was a 9-3 game in the fourth quarter with Jackson State having a lead. It's just that, that Jackson State defense is so suffocating that Tennessee State couldn't get a whole lot going and again rushed for negative uh, eight yards. But I think... I think Grambling is going to put up some points. I don't think this is going to be a high-scoring uh, football game at all, but I think Grambling's going to put up some points. I think Jackson State is going to put up some points. The, I've, I've been 2-0 on my pick so far this year, picking Jackson State twice against Florida A&M, and then, of course, last week in the game against Tennessee State. My pick for this week is, is this, and let me say this before I get to my pick. I, again, I think, I think Gramlin's going to score some points. Um, it's not going to be a high-scoring game. I'm looking for the game to be somewhere, um, you know, maybe in the 20 to 17 range. Um, I think Gramlin gets itself together uh, defensively. Um, Jackson State is still going to be very tough on the defensive side of the football, but I think Jackson's, I think Grambling State is better offensively than Tennessee State was, could only score three points. So I think, you know, I, I, I don't think Jackson State's going to be able to hold Tennessee State to three points. Not only that, this is my prediction. I think Grambling State's going to go into a hostile environment. It's going to be a packed house in Jackson, Mississippi, a hostile environment. Uh, you know, Jackson State is going to be deep you know, Grambling, I, I, I think, will bring some fans out to the football game. I'm not really sure the distance between 
you know, Grambling and, uh, and, and Jackson State. I don't think it's terribly far. Uh, but I think Grambling State is going to go in a hostile environment and upset, upset Jackson State. And I'm predicting that the score is going to be somewhere around 20 to 17. Grambling State on the winning end. Your thoughts, hit me up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. You know what's a sneaky game that I'm going to be keeping my eyes on? It's a couple. Well, this one's not sneaky. Alcorn State and McNeese State. Alcorn State not wanting to drop to 0-3 on the season playing an FCS opponent in McNeese State. Alcorn State is on the road. But you know what a sneaky game that I have my eye on is Lincoln versus Fayetteville State. Now, Lincoln is the home team, Lincoln of Pennsylvania, against Fayetteville State. So Lincoln's coming off, you know, a nice win last week, a solid win last week. Fayetteville State is coming off a loss. Lincoln is at home. Lincoln hasn't had a very good program. As a matter of fact, it seems Lincoln maybe resurrected its program back in, I don't know, the mid part of the 2000s. And it, it maybe with the exception of a couple of years where Lincoln may have won four or five games, it just hasn't gone well. But like I see in Josh Dean, who, who by the way is the son of Vernon Dean, former well Washington Redskin, uh, he's got those guys playing some pretty good football, coming off a nice win. So I'm going to be interested to see, is this the same Lincoln that we've seen for many, many years, or is this a different Lincoln program I'm going to be interested to see how the Lions play in that football game. So I'm, I'm very much lo- I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, of course, we have the HBCU scoreboard. So for all of the games that are taking place on tomorrow, log on to our website, BoxToRow.com, BoxToRow.com, and you uh, can see all of the games that are taking place. We're going to have the scoreboard updated Uh, later on in the evening from all of the games. Got to get ready to run. Thank you to Mike Elko. Thank you to Chris Barnett, both for joining us today here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Don't forget about the HBCU Football Daily Podcast where you can find the HBCU Football Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts as well as on the Box to Row YouTube page. And always remember to support those that support your box to row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM is produced by DW Communications.